Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's George Cooper and welcome to the Thursday Club. Now, Monday's pod was an emotional outburst, but now the dust has settled. Hopefully we can approach what happened against Manchester United away in the FA Cup quarterfinals with slightly more level heads. We'll be discussing the forthcoming results of the disciplinary hearings for Marco and Mitro, who you think were on trial in The Hague for war crimes if you went off the way they're being talked about in the media. We'll assess the impact this could have on the rest of our season, take a look to the much-needed international break, answer some of your questions, and then finally, to lighten the mood a little, we'll have a few little catch-ons to round things off. Joining me today is the Athletics' Peter Rutzler. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. You know, each day's getting a little bit easier, so uh, yeah, we'll, t- we'll take that. And our very own Jack Collins. You good, mate? Emotionally recovered yet? Yeah, just just about. I think um, this is one of those where like anger settles into grief, settles into trying to laugh at it, trying to settle back into trying to make sense of it all. So yeah, I think it's been it's been a wild couple of days, but I'm feeling like there are shafts of light piercing the the gloom at this point. <laughs> there are definitely stages as a fan base. You've got the initial anger. And then the reflection, what does this mean? And now I feel like collectively as a fan base, we're sliding into the meme stage, which is always good to see. You know, it's like the, the rule after a certain amount of, amount of time has passed, it becomes funny. Maybe we're not quite yet, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Now, Peter, obviously as a reporter, you have to approach your work impartially. You're an incredibly professional journalist. You can't be whooping and hollering around in the press box. It'd be unprofessional. Can you just talk us through what it was like to report on a game like that on Sunday? <laughs> Whooping and hollering. I think the closest I've got to that was was laughing at Brighton. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, very, um, probably surreal. I mean, obviously, you know, I go up and down the country following Fulham. So it's, you're invested in the team. And I think like many in the away end, it was pure shock because of just how quickly everything had unraveled from what seemed to be real comfort. I'm in my mind preparing to talk about what it would mean to get to Wembley and how it's sort of a fitting representation of the successful and have had under silver. Now there's this big showpiece event um, to sort of underline it and to look back on. And, uh, and then all hell broke loose. You find yourself sort of sitting and just looking at it and just taking it in. I don't think it was sort of, you're not, you're not emotionally engaged, you're just sort of, you're watching it nonplussed and then it took a few minutes for it to go, what the hell has just happened here? And I, that quickly became frustration, I think, you know, having seen what the team could do, um, disappointment. And, you know, I, you know, everyone's, everyone, I think at that stage, everyone, the, the story's written for the game. Everyone knows what everyone's going to be talking about. I don't really remember anything of the last 15 minutes of the game. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure I properly watched it. 
I think I, I saw Sabitzer's goal. Uh, I saw Fernandez's goal. But aside from that, I can really give you an honest account of what happened. I, I've, I've seen it back since. But yeah, you won't forget that kind of game in a rush. And I think after that, it's all about, right, well, what's the manager going to say? How do we prepare for the, the press conference? Is there going to be some kind of mix zone, which there wasn't really, at least for the, uh, the written hacks? Yeah, I mean, in a way, it makes your, your focus tighter in terms of what you're writing about. But otherwise, it's, um, yeah, a bit of shock like everyone else, to be honest. I can imagine having to carry on for the remainder of the game after witnessing that would be a bit like trying to finish an exam, having shat yourself 15 minutes from the end of time. <laughs> uh, Jack, can you just talk me through the emotions you've been through since Sunday? Obviously, uh, you're less impartial. Yeah, what, what the hell happened? Yeah, it, it just feels like one of those head losses, doesn't it? And and look, I, I think that we're looking at it from a variety of different angles. And I don't think anybody here is suggesting that there shouldn't be retrospective punishment for, for Alexander Mitrovic at the very least. Like You can't put your hands on referees. And we're losing referees at the grassroots level of this game, hand over fist because of the abuse that's doled out. And then people are watching, you know, in front of the entire world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can't treat referees like that, as bad as they might be, right? And, and and there are caveats to this. And those are the things that I think maybe that people are missing in the mainstream media. You know, you said at the top that it feels like a trial. It feels like a witch hunt. And I do think there's an element here of the FA will look at this you know, the same FA that have called a man into the England squad whilst he's up on gambling charges, should we just add? And the different things. And, you know, you see these incidents happen on a regular basis. This is bad, right? Let's not, let's not shy away from that, I think. It's important to look at it and be like, what Alexander Mitrovic does is bad. It's not good. Like, and he needs to be punished for it. I just think that there's an element, and especially coming from that Fulham angle, where the FA have seen an opportunity to punish a team or put put you know throw the book at a side here who maybe won't have the worldwide backing or or the international outcry that it would be if this was the other way round and generally i think that's the thing that stings because this is not fair and impartial we are not seeing consistency not only from referees but in in kind of modes of punishment for people and their actions and and that i think is a struggle when you're looking at it from this perspective. And, and that's the thing that stings for me. It's not that I'm sitting here and saying that none of these people should be punished. They should be. And there needs to be questions asked within the Fulham camp as well. You know, if players are losing their heads on the pitch and Marcus Silva's losing his head on the touchline, that's kind of part of the abrasiveness that we've loved at Fulham this season, right? Part of the fact that Fulham have been so excellent through the course of this season is because we are combative. We are nasty to play against. Polinia's picked up 10 yellow cards. You know, he has been banned three well, for three games in two separate occasions because of the yellow cards he's picked up across, across the course of this season. We get in teams' faces. We annoy them. When we didn't go through, Brighton fans all over the comments being like, we didn't want to play you lot anyway, you know, diving and cheating when you're up. Fine. I have no problem with Fulham not being this nice, lovely club to play against because it makes us a better side and it makes us the kind of team that can go to places like Brighton and sneak those wins because we are a little bit, you know, trained in the dark arts. But when Marcus Silver is losing his head on the touchline, I don't think he can then expect his players to not lose their heads on the pitch. It, you know, there is a level of it comes from the top and that's not a criticism. Well, it is a criticism of Marcus Silver. We can say it's not a criticism. It is. 
but it's also part of what we've liked. It's part of what we want from Marco Silva. We like the passion that he shows for this Fulham team. We like the fact that on the touchline, he's animated. And there's been a lot of throwing arms around on the touchlines this season. It's been under scrutiny, but this felt like he probably overstepped the mark. Now, we don't know what was said between between him and Chris Kavanagh. And we know that, that history between Kavanagh and Fulham in terms of the West Ham goals, in terms of the not given penalty in the first half of this one on Alexander Mitrovic, in terms of the Preston goal last year. We know that there's history there in terms of Kavanagh and Fulham. So I can see why players lose their heads. And I was lucky enough to talk to Rodney Marsh, ex-Fulham, on the radio in America yesterday. And he was saying, as players, you start to recognise referees. You're like, that guy hasn't given me nothing. And you start to, you know, it starts to build up with you. Obviously, we need to be better at controlling that. But I think that there has been a very sharp removal of the human element of the game in the context of this. Yes, Mitrovic and Silva should be punished for their actions. No, they shouldn't be made an example of when this is something that happens regularly within the game and something that has, you know, plagued this season. What happened to the rule, you know, three weeks ago, we were being told that as soon as the third person approached a referee, they were booked. That was thrown out the window within minutes because everyone was like, what's going on here? And Mario Lamina was sent off. He was the example because it wasn't a Man United player. It wasn't a, a Liverpool player. It was a Wolves player. Shock horror. It's a smaller club that takes the hit. And I think that we're going to see exactly the same thing here. And I'd just like to see some consistency. Yeah, I think the, that word there is the, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there and sort of is the um, the main frustration throughout the Fulham fan base. It's just the lack of consistency. The lack of consistency, the way that we seem to be treated compared to the big boys, the lack of consistency, even in the reporting of this incident. I mean, let's not forget all of the pundits that are calling for respect for officials, the same pundits that absolutely slam them week in, week out, whenever they get a high pressure decision wrong. It's it's just is incredibly frustrating. And we're going to come on to um, Kavanagh in a bit. But at the moment, let's just focus on... Um, the main talking point, I think, at the moment, which is how long we're looking to be without Alexander Mitrovic for. So, Peter, in a statement, the FA said, Fulham, Marco Silva and Mitrovic have been charged following the incidents that took place in and around the 72nd minute in their tie against Manchester United. It is alleged that Marco Silva used abusive and or insulting words and or gestures and or behaviour towards the match referee and that he used abusive, insulting words towards the fourth official prior to his, his dismissal. And they also used abusive language or gestures or behaviour towards the fourth official after being sent off. It's further alleged that he threw a water bottle in the direction of the assistant referee and his behaviour was improper. Uh, the FA have claimed that the standard punishment, which would otherwise apply to Mitrovic for sending off um, for the incident, would be insufficient and the language was allegedly improper and or abusive and or insulting and or threatening following dismissal. It's also alleged that Fulham failed to ensure its players conduct themselves in an orderly fashion. The FA is reviewing the referee's report and could deliver an update on whether or not Mitrovic will face a more severe sanction this week. Uh, according to the rulebook, a claim must be submitted by Fulham by 1pm on Tuesday. Uh, that's already passed at the time of recording. Uh, with the club or Mitrovic given two further days to respond. Um, any cause would be heard by a regulatory commission. Uh, do you have any intel on what Fulham have submitted by way of claim um, or indeed what we can expect this ban to look like, Peter? No, from the Fulham side, they've been completely silent. But I think looking at it in terms of the charges, um, I think with Mitrovic, of course, there's been the furore around the incident itself, which has sort of been 
blown out of proportion, I think, with some public comments that have just not... Uh, I feel like everyone's got wrapped up in it. You know, it's the last game on the Sunday. There's nothing else to talk about before the international break. And then I know that there's a an important push to protect referees. And I think that will come into it as part of it. But, I mean, it has felt a bit out of proportion. What you With the charges in particular, you know, Mitrovic has been charged with two things. The initial red card is seen as insufficient punishment, i.e. a free match ban for what he did, i.e. touching Kavanagh. Um, that's seen as insufficient. Um, and then the second charge is also behaviour that followed. Um, it's outside jurisdiction, I think it's called. Um, but that's, as you were outlining, uh, in proper language, uh, threatening behaviour. For me, are you looking at essentially that's two red cards? So I'd be surprised if it's less than six. Um, that's not from any particular knowledge. That's just me looking at it, to you know, in terms of the charges. And, and Marco Silva, um, obviously, is, there's multiple charges there. Not good charges. It was interesting that after the game, he made a point of saying that he didn't say anything, or it wasn't his comments for which he was sent off. Seems like the charges go against that. Uh, representation of what happened on the touchline um obviously he's had a touchline ban before he's the first premier league manager to have picked up that touchline ban for yellow cards he obviously uh was sent off at bournemouth last year in the championship you know this is someone with a bit of a reputation i think so it'd be interesting to see what happens i could see it being more than one game certainly um Again, depends on the charges, depends what's proven. I mean, I remember at the time, and I can only go from what I saw, and I think, you know, it looked terrible um, from the press box. It looked like Fulham were entering anarchy, to be frank. That whole 10 seconds, it didn't work out that way. It calmed down pretty quick, but you, you can't have a situation where your manager is sent off before the actual decision is made. <laughs> um, and then your players lose their rag as well. I, was, I agree with much of what Jack was saying, actually, in terms of how the situation has unfolded. And we, I think everyone recognises the, the need for punishment. I think there is a sense here that Fulham are getting the book thrown at them. And would this necessarily happen with a bigger club? The only thing I was thinking as he was saying that was, when was the last time you had three people sent off in that amount of time, including your manager and including a player for touching, nudging, pushing the referee? Uh, it just hasn't happened. Will that lead to an exceptional set of charges? Yeah, and that's that's unfortunately what's going to happen. Um, the other factors in terms of mitigation are all part of the process. That's what Fulham can 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 put to um, the FA, who will then look at it for a regulatory commission um, before the charges. So hopefully that will help with matters. I, I can't see it because it doesn't help that they kicked off at a decision that was fundamentally correct. I mean, the optics for it are terrible, and that's why people have reacted. Because it was bad. <laughs> There's no getting away from it. So I think in terms of when we'll hear, um, I, I, if, it's, if it is this week, it'll be later end of the week, probably. There's no sort of set. Um, I think it has to be within 10 business days, I've read. But I'm not 100% sure on that, so I should probably check it. But um, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be imminent, I don't think. Um, there's still a few more steps to go through. However, judging by how quickly the FA dished out the charge on Monday, it seems like they're getting a move on with it. So, Jack, so what's your opinion on the ban? How long do you think Mitro deserves? I've seen, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with the fact that it, it was bad. And, you know, Mitro's a role model. So many uh, young players like will look up to him and potentially emulate his actions on 
pitches when they're playing at school and on Sunday league and whatnot. Um, so I think what Peter said in, in six matches, I think is fair. I think anything more than that and you're you're looking at a kind of throwing throwing the book at him kind of situation. I mean, yesterday, Mitro was trending with Cantona, which is just <laughs> crazy to even think about. You know, Kung Fu kicking and laying multiple punches into a spectator. The fact that those two incidents are being talked about in the same breath, I think, is just crazy. Paul Murray on Twitter said, given the feeling frenzy in the media, surprised Mitro isn't being trended with Fred West at the moment. It's all just a bit crazy, but... Level head, what do you think, what sort of band do you think Mitro deserves? And Marco, for that matter. Um, it's hard, isn't it? I, my kind of line on it is that anything that stretches beyond the end of this season would be incredibly harsh and verging on the point of unfair. Um, I think that anything that stretches you know, into next season would be brutal. And again, you know, this is an FA who have failed to act on various, various charges against players, you know, and, and charges off field, obviously. So things are slightly more murky that have far more serious ramifications on the world than what's happened in this game. And I think that when those things are taken into account, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mitrovic ends up with a longer ban than Ivan Tony, and, and that really, really does kind of irk me in so many different ways. The problem with it is that I do think that there needs to be an example set in terms of, of referees. And it's unfortunate in some regards that this is going to be seen as the poster book incidents for that. So therefore, I... I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 10-11 game ban because I, I, I think they might say, right, your season's done. If it's more than that and it stretches into next season, I think the FA have, have overstepped the mark. So that's where I'm at on it. I, I think it could be, I think it could be a, a season ender for, for Alexander Mitrovic. I think it would be harsh, but I don't think it would be unfair, like out of out of the blue unfair. I just think that when you're looking at it in the context of other things, doesn't look at look, if it's ten games, by the way, it would be ten games, there would be one game left at the end of the season. Guess where that is? <laughs> like it, it the I mean, the, the narrative arc of Richard turning after a ten game ban to play at Old Trafford against Manchester United is is just something, isn't it? So, I mean, like obviously that's not the reason the reasoning behind how this will work out, but God, my my head is drawn to it just as, as the concept of what it is. I, I think six is the minimum. I'm with Peter. I, I can't see them giving him less than a six-game ban for this. My head tells me it will be a 10-11 game ban. Uh, I, I think that's where we're at. For context, right? Paolo Di Canio when he shoved over that referee, received an 11-game ban. And that was literally shoving him to the ground in one of the Premier League's most notorious moments. Do you genuinely think that Mitro could be facing the same ban for what happened, Peter? Yeah, I, I think the, I think it, it could be close to that because that's a precedent. There's David Pratton as well in 2005. Um similar sort of thing. Um, I think both were slightly more aggressive towards the official initially. I think that the problem for Mitrovic is, and this is why it looked so bad at the time at the ground, is that he then confronts Kavanagh 
and Kavanagh backtracked about 20 yards, 25 yards. Um, he has to be pulled away twice. Now, we don't know what's said in that point. All of it will be heard by the referee's mic anyway. But it wasn't exactly a friendly chat. Um, so, um, as much as there's, I know there's a lot of Ferrari around the shove, and it wasn't, it wasn't a Decanio shove. Let's, let's put it that way. It definitely wasn't. You can't do what he did anyway. Um, but that's not really the, the full issue. And I, I know that the comparisons with Bruno Fernandes, and I don't understand why Bruno Fernandes did not receive some kind of punishment because you cannot do this. Of course, the context of that is that the linesman himself manhandled Fernandes, and then he does it back to him. Um, which is probably why they didn't, but I, from, I just it just doesn't make sense why that wasn't. And obviously that's not going to be retrospectively looked at at this point, um, but that's where the consistency issue lies. And I think that will be brought up and I think it will hurt and it will sting. I think what is important is that if this is set as a an example, and it doesn't feel right that it should be, but as I was mentioning before, there isn't an incident like this really in terms of, the context of the whole situation, which makes it stand out. People were going to talk about this whole incident as a whole. Um, therefore, if you're going to set an example, it will be here. Um, then it has to be followed up consistently in terms of how the, the hounding and harassing of officials. And that brings it back to what I was saying about the second part of Mitrovic's charge, because that didn't look great at all. He'd already been sent off. He's not leaving the field of play. That's where the, the band's going to get extended, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I guess time will tell. We can expect to hear, hopefully, by the back end of this week. But, you know, these things can drag on. Jack, I think we need to talk about Kavanaugh. The relationship between this particular referee and the club, I feel, has been tainted to such a degree that it would affect his ability to impartially ref a Fulham match in the near future. Harry Blake got in touch and said, Chris Kavanagh should honestly never ref a Fulham game again. The West Ham game was farcical, soft pen, two stonewall handballs that we eventually got an apology for. Preston North End last year was a joke and yesterday again was unacceptable. The shove on Mitro, the kick of the train leg by me, Martinez and potentially soft pens but VAR didn't even look then you had Anthony with his first involvement kicking Robinson and lashing out if Jedi goes rolling around like Fernandez, he would have gone Anthony um, gets sent off on 60 minutes and none of yesterday happens and we'd be playing at Wembley obviously these are all hypotheticals but it speaks of that culmination you know I felt like um, the bully and red card on Sunday was a straw that broke the camel's back I'm um, just going back to my original point I don't think we should be looking at Kavanaugh refereeing a Fulham game anytime soon I don't know how this works, but I think Peter might. Well, I don't think there'd be... I think the only thing that they specify is, you know, if there are proven allegiances, and I know a lot's been brought up about Chris Kavanagh being from Manchester and things like that. If there are... If you support a club as a referee, the example being, for instance, Michael Oliver is a Newcastle fan, he'll never do Newcastle, he'll never do their rivals, and all their rivals, be it towards the back end of a season where things start to matter a little bit. Uh, aside from that, there isn't really... A sort of a protocol for a referee doing or not doing a game. I think the, the it's not completely unprecedented because Jurgen Klopp called out Paul Tierney. I think was it yeah, this I season was or last say, season asked for a referee not to manage the, to referee their games again before. Yeah, and I, I also I I really don't think that sets the best example if a manager can call out a referee and then they are just not able to do their games anymore. Um, Kavanaugh hasn't done that many games. Obviously, the ones he have have been very memorable. Um, but I'll leave, I'll leave that to, to Jack to, about whether he should or shouldn't do any more Fulham games. I think the, the one thing I would say, and there's a bit of devil's advocate here, he did also do the FA Cup game against Leeds. 
and he did rule out an incredibly soft lead goal, which changed the game. Um, the header from where Wilson goes down uh, just didn't really look like a foul, to be honest. Um, I don't think this is an issue, and it never really is an issue of someone having a bias. Um, I think also the West Ham game, you can look at and go, well, surely that should be sort of a, a VAR issue. I think even there was a law element to the Antonio goal because I think the point was it was two phases or, or so, I can't remember yeah, the exact yeah, detail. Yeah. So it wasn't right. actually Kavanagh. Um, so I think we, we're in danger of getting caught up into something which might overdo it a little. However, clearly, clearly he has riled both the manager and the squad and whether Silva sort of used this or the team have used this as a motivation, I don't know. But um, there can be other elements to what players don't like about referees. And Jack re- referred to it earlier about it with Rodney Marsh, you know, players remember referees and how they treat you. So, um, but yeah, that's sort of context to it that helps. Yeah, I think if, if the FA are smart, they won't appoint Kavanagh for a Fulham game just for a while, just to let this simmer over. Like, you know, by, by the mid-next season, is everyone, anyone going to be worrying about this if Fulham are, you know, embroiled in another tussle wherever it is in the league for Europe or if we're, you know, having a, a worse season next year, whatever that is, you know, the team are going to be looking to, to bounce back. It, it will be far less of an issue. If he was, you know, put into a point, appointed to referee Fulham's next game, I think that would just be bad management from the FA, you know, just in terms of his protection as well as anything else. And I know that people will be screaming this going, I don't care about him. But like we're, we're talking about all of this being for the good of referees, that we want to see improvements in the refereeing game. We want to see you know better decisions being made. We want to see referees coming through the ranks um, and making good decisions on a regular basis. And, you know, the best in the world, being able to referee the top level in England. That's how fans want to see it, you know, the, the best referees coming in. So, you know, what do you do? You you don't scare them off by putting them in back into a cauldron at Fulham's next home game, do you? That's that's madness. And and I think that, that that's kind of plays into all of this. I would add, and, and not necessarily on the Kavanaugh point, but just in a kind of general sense, maybe as a closing point on Mitro. Mitro's reputation from his time at Newcastle 10 years ago haunts him like a spectre. This is Mitrovic's first red card for Fulham in the five years that he's been here. And in that time, I don't think I've ever seen a player get fewer decisions, 50-50 decisions, than Alexander Mitrovic. And I think this is partly because of the way he plays, right? He plays on that physical edge. He likes to have physical battles with centre-backs. But in terms of that Luke Shaw decision, for example, the push, two hands in the back, no attempt to play the ball. That's the kind of thing you look at and go, anybody else gets that decision. But because it's Mitrovic and he likes these physical tussles, he is quite handsy in terms of how his play style is. I think it takes away from some of the tackles and pushes and shoves in the box that he gets. And, and, I, and I think that generally that's probably starting to wind him up. And Look, there's always been this sense of there was a lot of people in the media who we've been having this argument with for you know five years who saw that on Sunday and went told you so, and actually his reaction to this and the explosion of it all will do absolutely no favors for him in terms of getting these decisions in terms of referees looking to you know to work these things out and and say okay that's maybe more than a fifty fifty there that's a, a shove that's a push that's holding etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that in so many ways, he's he's shot himself in the foot here by exploding. But I can equally 
see why he's got so frustrated and that's built up because his the sense that he doesn't get decisions I think probably weighs heavy on him and and he's been victim of a reputation that I think for the best part of the last five years maybe until Sunday he's done a really good job of actually shedding you know that hot-headed guy who gets sent off all the time yes there have been moments where he flares up yes there have been yellow cards for dissent etc etc but I think that his reputation has just taken a real knock back to where it was 10 years ago when actually over the last five years, we've seen far less of that as a player on the pitch in, in, in the black and white shirt. I think he's the sort of the perfect example of a player who plays on the edge. And he has done. I don't think it's, it would be wrong to say that. Um, and how this incident has just been Fulham just stepping over the edge when this season they've, they've got, seem to have got it pretty much just right for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with I agree with you. I, the Newcastle stuff. I don't understand. I, it's it's almost as if the five years since have just never happened. Um, I, what I would say he's not exactly tranquil. Um, he does like to make his voice heard. Um, I think I agree with Jack about the fact that he doesn't get decisions, and I think this has sort of led to him also going down kind of easily at times. He does like the United game is a perfect example. You have the Shaw incident, which looks a stonewall penalty, and then you've got the Martinez one where. He sort of steps across, he then raises his arms and it's that could easily have been a penalty, but it just doesn't look one because of the way he went down. Um, but yes, I, I do I do feel like he's taken a battering that I think other players would not have taken. We await the result of the trial at The Hague and we'll find out the extent of his ban. Just to end, I think, you know, we've, we've said all there is to be said about um, Sunday, but just going to turn it into a positive because I think the 70 minutes prior to the madness that unfolded was among the best 70 minutes that I've seen Fulham play. I'm going to ask you both, start with you, Jack. How, how did Fulham turn this into a positive? You take it siege mentality, isn't it? It, it depends exactly what this, what this looks like as a ban. But if they go, right, Mitrovic, you're on a 10-game ban. If they go silver, right, you're getting five games. The squad have to go, well, that's unfair. Other people wouldn't have got that. We'll win for that. You have to turn that into, okay, it, you know, it's very much the world's against us. And fine, that might not actually be the case. But that's 100% the spirit you've got to drill into the camp, right? That's 100% the, the way you go down is that, okay, we've been unfairly punished here for being, you know, made an example of, you know, they're holding us up as, as, as the new laws, fine, whatever it is. It's then got to be, we look at this and work out how we flip that into, right, we, we band together, we d- deliver in their absence to prove to the world that we're more than, you know, a, an example to be made of. We're, you know, we are a side who have done really well this season and we go out there and we, we try to perform and, and try to win every one of these winnable games in April, right? You, you go out there and yes, it's going to be a big miss having Mitrovic gone. It's, a, it's an opportunity for Carlos Vinicius to get a genuine run of games. Now, I know that people, again, we scream at me going, we don't want him to get a run of games. Fine, whatever. I don't really care. The point is, that if Mitrovic takes that ban... It happens. It goes in there. Carlos Vinicius comes in and he gets 10 games, let's say, to prove himself and show that he is a worthy backup because it's hard. And we've said this all season to come in here and there, have two, three games and come out of the side again and know that you might get 10 minutes at the end. Right. Th- those are the those are the elements that are difficult. But if he comes in here and he goes, right, I've got to run to prove myself and show that I'm I'm worth my weight here and I'm, I'm more than just 
you know, a backup to stand in. I, I'm, I'm well capable of firing these goals in. Then I think that's an opportunity for him that he has to take with both hands. Uh, the squad have to band together around him. The fans have to band together around Carlos Vinicius as well. This is one of those elements where we look at it and go, right, you know, if they want to, if they want to kind of kick us when we're down, you know, we're going to show that we're we're worth more than that. And I, I think that's the that's the thing that Fulham take out of this. Hundred percent, circle the wagons. Got to use it. I think that's the interesting thing because going into the, the quarterfinal, because it felt like such a big game, and because of how the season because of the results just before the game and, and how the top seven pursuit was looking, I, I sort of looked at it and went, if, if this is like a tepid defeat, you know, that you kind of think, well, how, how do you reignite the season? How do you get something to, to make sure that the running isn't lost and it, it peters out a little bit and you lose that impetus that has carried Fulham so far, which would certainly be plausible. Um, you know, there would be, it becomes conversations about the summer and who's going, who's staying, and all of this kind of thing. We mentioned about Marcus Silva last week, and like, that's the, you don't want that to be the topics of your of your running. So, if you were to flip it, it's as Jack says, like prove them wrong, like go out there and use that fire and and, and channel it into these games for the, the running and see how far it can take you because the fixtures aren't terrible. I think they've got two, just two, three games now, isn't it? Because the Liverpool game was moved against teams in the in the top half left. The rest, you know, are in that melee at the bottom. So, yeah, use it and, and see how far it can take you. Great. We'll leave it at that for the time being. Thank you very much, gents. Don't go anywhere because in part two, we'll be back with some of your listener questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm George Cooper and I'm joined by Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. We've got a few of your questions here, which I'm going to throw to you, Jack. This is from Keith. Hi guys, thanks for all your efforts. I watched from the Johnny Haynes stand and last season many of us were getting fed up with Mitro and Wilson going to ground too easily and then standing and waving their arms around when they should be chasing back or working for the team. Regardless of what went on before, Mitro is in the wrong and deserves a harsh punishment. If he is banned for 10 games, which is an assumption right or wrong, being banded around, would it be the end of the world for us? We are not a one-man team. We are not going to be relegated. Great time to experiment without him and adjust our play to a different striker. The strikers we have at present would then get proper game time and Marco can really assess whether they should be with us for next season. Recall Stansfield or Muniz from their loans. We will miss a great man, but they're great positives to be gained. What do you guys think? Keep up the good work. Kind regards, Keith from Bournemouth. Um, I don't think that we can uh, recall 
players outside of uh, windows. Um, however, there is something to be said there about getting a bit creative with the attacking options that we have in the absence of Mitro. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, we, we definitely can't recall strikers. You can only do it in the transfer slash registration windows. So there's there's going to be no loans coming back in. But, I mean, obviously I talked a lot about Carlos Vinicius at the end of part one, but I think there's there's the option here to to try and work out if Luke Harris can fit into this side, if we can change this attacking impetus. Um, now, that's not to say that I would play him as a lone striker. I'm not sure he's that player. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure he's ever going to be that player. I, I think he fits best as a kind of, Paolo Dybala-esque number 10. But he might get games here. And I would add to the idea here that, you know, Andreas Pereira looks knackered and he played well, I thought, uh, against United. But there is still that element where he has barely had a rest since sort of March last season, considering the way that the Brazilian calendar works. So there's there's a lot of options. Um, again, it's about giving players a run, giving them minutes, giving them a bit of consistency uh, and seeing, you know, this bit at the end of the season where, as Peter says, it's not completely dead in the water and there's now something to fight for and prove. But I think Fulham have the scope to experiment in terms of not being dragged into that relegation battle. You know, obviously after Fulham were relegated, we saw Fabio Carvalho break out in the Premier League and, and get those moments. Maybe there's an opportunity here for Luke Harris to to show what he can do. And obviously if Fulham are chasing, chasing that seventh spot and it's still on, then I think there will be strongest teams being selected by Marcus Silva and, and managed by whoever's in the dugout for this period. But over the course of it, I think it's a really good opportunity for Carlos Vinicius. And at the end of it, I would like to see some more minutes for Luke Harris. Obviously, he's called up to the Wales senior squad this time around as well. So there's there's clearly an element here where people are excited. And, and I think it'd be great to see that at the cottage in the running. Peter, anyone amongst Fulham ranks that you'd like to see get a run out that Jack hasn't mentioned? No, I think Jack's covered it pretty well. I think this is an opportunity for Harris, particularly if the season doesn't kick on again after these games. I think the, on, on Nunes, it's a funny one. I, that's just not a, not a loan that's worked out at all. It's really not a great situation for a, a strike in which you, you have good hope. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can't really understand it, to be honest. I mean, he's not not playing at Borough and, um, yeah, it feels a bit like a, a waste of his time. I mean, there's a, there's, there's an element of tr- adapting. To, to, but I don't I, why why that needs to be in Borough, I, I don't know. But, um uh, but yeah, in terms of others, I think there's you know there's a chance for others to get some minutes. I think Harry Wilson will want to try and build up and regain some of the form that he showed last season. Um, there are others. Tom Kearney will want to try and build up some minutes again as well. Uh, Sasa Lukic is a good opportunity for him to to acclimatise a little bit more. So um, yeah, there there are positives to be gained, um, particularly if it doesn't doesn't look like the the top seven is is, is doable. This question now is from Hammersmith End. Question from the Hammersmith End, collective Hammersmith End. Hi, Fulhamish. Love the pods and great to finally listen in during a Prem season that isn't a miserable slog. Inevitably, there's been a lot of talk of late on the Solomon contract situation. One thing that's been slightly bugging me is that most people seem to think that our decision to renege on the agreed 7.5 million sale was, regardless of ethics, a smart and understandable business decision. But was it really? Surely we know from previous seasons that loans mean the club acts as a shop window for players. Could they not have seen this potential situation coming? To me, it seems like a huge and unnecessary gamble was taken on getting a player cheaply when a good price was already agreed, completely ignoring 
ignoring the massive risk that a bigger club could come in after Manor Solomon had shined for us. Maybe Manor was always destined to leave after one or half a season. But if we had signed him properly, we'd be looking at a very tidy profit on that 7.5 million fee. Right now, we're looking like mugs. Hopefully the club uh, can come to an agreement and I'm proved wrong. But this to me seems like another example of the club failing to properly plan uh, with a view to the future. Thanks and keep up the great work. Live in H5. <laughs> Peter, what do you reckon on this uh, email from Hammersmith End? Yeah, I don't think that's hindsight. I think it's foresight. I think we all saw it. I think we all said it at the time. Um, this is the risk. I mean, the fact that they were close to signing him permanently, um, then for that not to happen, if he, he has a good season, he can be picked up. Like that's it's a possibility. Let's see what happens. Obviously, nothing's happened yet, but you know, there's there's no doubt there's interest in him. And um, well, Fulham lose him. I mean, it's you know, they lose out. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's uh, I I I wouldn't say that it's. Sure, it makes you, you can make an argument about paying nothing instead of a fee. I think that's a fair argument. But at the same time, if it means you lose out in the long run, then it's short-sighted. Do you think this gamble is going to backfire, Collins, ultimately? Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, obviously, there's been some quotes flying around from, from Mano Solomon's camp uh, that he's happy. Uh, but equally, they'll explore all the options on the table. And to be honest, I wouldn't blame him considering how it all, all panned out but considering it's been you know a late run if, if he'd been performing at this level for the entire season I think it would be harder for Fulham to sit here and say well you know we'll keep we, we'd like to keep you when there are big offers on the table but considering it's only been a, a limited amount of time obviously we've only really seen him the last two three months then it, it's been tricky but Generally, I think that maybe that will actually work in Fulham's favour. And it's not not necessarily because of good business decisions or, or good planning. Just the fact that the injury came at an inopportune moment and he's only really going to get that five, four or five months to show himself might allow Fulham to just about sort this out. Um, but I, I'm, I'm wary and I really do hope we can try and get this sorted quickly. I think the other thing to, to mention is also... You know, the war's still ongoing and we need to see what FIFA do in terms of the regulations again, whether they will allow players to suspend their contracts again. Because if they do that, then suddenly it's a, it's a different story about signing Solomon. And as much as it will be difficult for Shakhtar, it doesn't, not certainly it would be a terrible situation for them financially, um, then you, you end up with a scenario where he leaves for free. So um that's still to come in the in the months ahead so um it's all part of the thinking and, and that's i think it has to be said that, that because it's such unusual circumstances everyone's sort of trying to get themselves into the best possible situation ethically uncomfortable or otherwise mm. speaking of our wizard on the wing he's in action for israel against kosovo on saturday he's amongst a host of fulham players that are will be playing during this international break uh, mitro and lukic will be um, in the serbia squad facing lithuania on friday uh, usa play granada on thursday we'll see robertson and ream in action our welsh wingers um harris play to uh, away to croatia on saturday and portugal playing Liechtenstein on thursday 
Uh, Bernd Leno has been called up to the Germany squad. They face Peru on Saturday and Slovakia. We'll be playing Luxembourg. We'll see Rodak uh, in action on them. Jack, of these fixtures, which particularly catch your eye? Um, and obviously it's fantastic news that Leno's been called up. I think that's um, a very well-deserved inclusion. Um, anything else stand out? Yeah, I mean, it's great for Bernd Leno. And he was talking about getting back into that Germany side. So absolutely over the moon for him. I'd be very surprised if he plays any minutes. But it it is great for him. And it was obviously one of his aims for the season. And so the fact that Fulham have helped him to fulfill those aims, I think is is a major win for, from where we're standing. I'm really interested in Manus Solomon's Israel because they're in a group that kind of screams we might be able to get out of this and there's a few very few interesting players in this Israel setup Oscar Gluck uh, fired their under 19s to the under 19 World Cup uh, European Championship final a couple of years back and they lost that to England but he's one that took that and moved to RB Salzburg Mana Solomon as as Peter wrote Solomania is it is uh, taking over Israel, but they're in a group. Switzerland will expect to win it. Apart from that, it's Andorra, Belarus, Israel, Kosovo, Romania. They'll fancy their chances of getting out of that. It's a really tight group. I'm desperately sad that Ireland aren't in it, but um, it, it's a, it's one of those groups you look at and go, right, you could you could be looking at three of those sides getting that second spot. I'd imagine Israel, Kosovo, Romania will all fancy their chances. So it means that this first game against Kosovo is massive. For Israel, um, and and it's going to be really interesting to see how that one develops because it feels like they've finally been able to put together a couple of really good players, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how how he does in the international break because uh, they yeah they're, they're, I think they're they're probably the most interesting story from a Fulham perspective, um, apart from maybe some omissions. Who are the said omissions that you're referring to there? Well, Kenny Tete, uh, Peter, I know will know the quote better than me, but Kenny Tete is unhappy that he has been overlooked by Ronald Koeman for his Netherlands squad. Uh, Peter, what was the quote? Well, I'm wary of translations here. Obviously, I'm not Dutch, but the, the translation I have is that because he was he was included in the pre-selection, wasn't he? So he did a, a Ronald Koeman's done a big pre-selection squad, and Tete was in that, but then obviously didn't get the final call up. So speaking, obviously, after a very emotional game on Sunday. I think to the Dutch media, he said that um, I have a feeling that they are toying with my balls. <laughs> In the context of other things, that's the thing that stands out. And it was put to Carmen, uh, I think the other day as well, when he was talking about the squad. But Jack will probably elaborate because I don't know the Dutch squad as well. But looking at it, I think it's a bit of a travesty that he's not in that squad. I think I can't believe he's not been called up. I, I, I think it's incredible. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah, double down. I think the thing that really kind of would have wound Kenny Tete up is that there was a question put to Ronald Koeman about the fact that he hadn't included Jeremy Frimpong, who's having an absolutely sensational season at Bayer Leverkusen. And he said, well, I like my fullbacks to be able to defend. (laughs) And Jeremy Frimpong is more of a winger. That's fine. He is. He's a, he's very much a wing back. His his best attributes are going forward. That's okay. But he's then included Denzel Dumfries in the side, who has never defended anything in his entire life, and he's left out the the fullback with the highest tackle rate in in Europe in Kenny Tess. So it doesn't make any sense. Like it's just one of those really strange ones. I'm looking at it going, well, those two things don't add up, my guy. Like they they just they just don't all tie in together, and you know. Under the illusion that 
Kenny Tete was someone that Ronald Koeman really liked the last time he was the Netherlands boss, because obviously the Netherlands just rotate the same three coaches on a loop. Louis van Gaal, Dick Advocaat and Ronald Koeman. I think they've been between them. I think they've done seven of the last 10 Netherlands jobs. So it's kind of like, I think Tete would have been looking at that and going, well, hang on, like, what about me? So, yeah, a, a bit of a harsh one. I think Kenny Tete will rightly feel pretty aggrieved that he's been left out of that squad. Look, the Dutch have lots of very good right-backs. You know, Frimpong is excellent. I do like Dumfries. I just don't think he's particularly good at defending. And they have Urien Timber as well, who's a sort of right-back, centre-back hybrid who, who can do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, he plays for Ajax. So there are a good selection of, of right-backs. But I, I, I feel like Tete will yeah, be rightly agreed. I think he's been the best fullback in the Premier League this season. And, you know, to, to not get a call-up, especially when the manager is talking about fullbacks who are defensively capable, feels incredibly harsh. Do you feel like, on balance, his balls have indeed been toyed with? Yeah, I believe they have, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that's exactly right from, from Kenny. Uh, the Fulham Academy have had some international call-ups as well. Um, yeah, some some very hot prospects. Ollie O'Neill for the Republic of Ireland, Jack, is um, he one to watch? Yeah, I mean, he's been on loan at Derry City. Um, he got his first goal a couple of weeks back for Derry. Um, so that was nice to see. And he's been in this under-21 setup for a while. Um, we know Stephen Kenny, the Ireland manager, is pretty hot on calling players up from the 21s to the senior squad. You know, we've seen a lot of players. He was under 21 manager a couple of years back. I think there's five of his first, of his starting 11 in his first Ireland under 21s game as manager who are now in the senior squad, which is pretty good going, um, considering some of them will still be in the unders. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's a good opportunity for, for Ollie uh, and hopefully he gets some minutes there. He's he scored some big goals for Ireland already. So it's a, it's a nice one and um, we'll see how they get on. Although these are only friendlies. Um, I know Peter's really excited uh, about the fact that Devon Hampton's been called up for Colombia. Yeah, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? It's an attorney training camp, I think, as, as we were talking about before the podcast. Um, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a nice call up for him. Um, just love the idea of going to South America on an international break. That's, that's, that's where it's at, isn't it? So good luck to him. Hope he does well. The last one that's kind of interesting, Coops, is that Joao Polina is now obviously in this Portugal side that are managed by Roberto Martinez. Um, they've had a change of manager and I think there will be a little bit of a changing of the guard. There, there hasn't been too much reshuffling since the World Cup. A lot of these players who are in this side are the side that went to the World Cup. But I do wonder if actually the idea here is, is to start to breathe through these players who are in the primes as opposed to maybe the ones who are slightly over the line you know we, we've seen William Carvalho be dropped out of that squad we, we've seen a few other midfielders you know Danilo Pereira start to play further back in this team uh, I wonder if this is the moment that Polina stamps his authority on the Portugal side uh, and becomes kind of a, a, a regular starter in the midfield alongside the likes of uh, Ruben Neves and Matthias Nunes and Bruno Fernandes. Martinez playing players outside of their prime Jack Who'd have thought? <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> it seemed a really weird appointment to me. That it, I mean, it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the most ambitious uh, appointment. As long as he plays Palinia, it's fine. 
Yeah, but then uh, I'm part of the Fulham school where I kind of don't want Paulini to be too much in the shot window. After the, uh, it felt like a real kick in the nuts after everything that happened on Sunday. You know, you got the the eyes of the UK on that crazy, crazy game. We've just crashed out, and then Paulini gets named man of the match, and we're like, that's, that's the one thing we don't want to happen. We don't want to lose him. But um, no, of course, we want to see uh, Paulini get international, and it's, it's it's thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. And um, yeah, we'll see if that change of the guard occurs. Anything else to add on the international breaks, lads? I hope Luke Harris gets some minutes. That'd be nice to see, wouldn't it? Mm. That's, Absolutely. That's about it, really, I think. Yeah, especially uh, seeing as he may be getting a few more minutes in the in the coming weeks. Let's move on to this. We'll catch on. We've got a few here to lighten the mood. Um, some are very good, actually. I've been impressed. They're short but sweet, and I think there's a high this will catch on rating for each one i think they i think these have potential but of course i'll let you two be the judges uh, so this one's from uh rishav verma hello lads rish here currently living in lisbon portugal and incredibly fortunate to have a nice long beachside drive to listen to you all week in week out i've also been fortunate enough to be able to fly into london monthly to watch a game so far i've done brentford united walls and will be back in april for west ham through my absorption of the atmosphere at the cottage i've failed to listen to any truly catchy chanting phrasing for one of our most important players this season. And undoubtedly, Paulinho aside, the deal of the season, Andreas Pereira. Enjoy this one to Abba's SOS. Now, Fulham obviously have form in the Abba realm. Open shout out to any Fulham fans in Portugal to reach out to me and let's try to get together. Come on, you whites. Okay, so this is Rishab's Andreas Pereira to the tune of SOS by Abba. See what you think of this one. a Brazilian bought him for 10 million and <laughs> I like it. United chained him, Marco Silva saved him and When he's on, always runs a fucking marathon. When he's on, plays the pass to Manor Solomon. <laughs> Come on, you whites. <laughs> yeah, excellent sold absolutely sold that can go that's yeah. that's that's real well done top, top draw yeah brilliant i'm in is it gonna catch up yeah 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 let's uh, let's do that he's a brazilian bought him for 10 million andreas united shamed him marco silver saved him andreas when he's on always runs a fucking marathon when he's on plays the pass to manor solomon that's tight that is tight lads. very tight i like it a lot I'm a big fan, big, big fan. Is that a double thumbs up from Peter Rutzler? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. I'm with Jack. I genuinely hope that goes. That's excellent. It just needs one lively away. Maybe Bournemouth away. That could be the one where uh, where it kicks off. But Richard, I've top marks, lad. That was fantastic. Right, let's move on to Timothy Clark. Hi, team. Going to go for some emotional blackmail to coax Manor Solomon to stay at Fulham. Rocket Man by Elton is about as stirring as they come. And I challenge anyone to leave somewhere where 20,000 people are singing it. Uh, with their name subbed in. I want to counter the obvious objection, Hammy End can't carry a tune. I say that will make it even better. <laughs> I think people are nailing Hey Jude, the worse, the better. Okay, so we ready for uh, Timothy Clark's Man of Salomon to Rocketman. Thank you. 
love really it. good. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. So the lyrics, if needed, are, and I think I'm going to wait till added time for Manos Solomon to break the line. There's no finer to have cut inside. Oh, no, no, no. Manos Solomon. Solomon tearing down the wing out there alone. It's very good. <laughs> nice. Very good. It's excellent. I like it a lot. It's the kind of one that I think they will only go if they played it at the cottage and you could sing it on top of it. Right. Yes. But, but I'm in and I'm sold. I like it a lot. This Lisa, is good. What, what, good what do you reckon? It's a good standard today. It's been yeah. nice. It's a nice Great. uplift. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Needed. Fantastic stuff. I've enjoyed, enjoyed both immensely. Really, really good. Great. One well, final one to round us off today is by Mauricia Cardoni, who uh, I believe she's the lady. A regular. Sister, regular, yeah, regular, regular contributor. And, um, you know, you can tell this high bar is going to remain very high for this one. Yeah. Hello again. Here's a new attempt for the song for William, inspired by one of your podcasts when somebody possibly Jack uttered, William, I'm in love. No multi-tracking this time, so it may actually <laughs> oh, catch <no>. on. Oh, <laughs> no. I was going to say, multi-track Marisa has been my favorite, one of my favorite things, elements of this show. Yeah, the increasing production value of the This or Catch On has been something to behold, really. But we're, we're, we're going acoustic, unplugged, back to basics from Marissa here. So final one of today, this is to Willie to the Cures, Friday I'm in Love. Highland, you can stay in blue. Mason Mount and Harvard's too. Rashford, we don't care about you. It's William, I'm in love. Kane and Saka can't shoot straight. Nunes <laughs> Salah make mistakes. Oh man, never hesitates. He's William, I'm in love. <laughs> Exceptional. Exceptional. It's lovely. It's high Beautiful. bar today. Oh, I, I, don't, I oh, have to say, if I. <laughs> I've, if I've got my critical cat on, I think the the lyrical dexterity is a little bit too tricky, um, tricky for it to fully catch on. But it was absolutely lovely, nonetheless. It's beautiful. What a voice! What a voice! <laughs> I gotta say, um, I, I hope it does catch on. I, I have less faith in that than the other two catching on. But I would put it up there in terms of audio, audio quality as as right up there with, with one of the best we ever had. That's exceptional. Oh, lovely. Pristine. Yeah, it was beautiful. Of the three that we've heard, so Andreas, SOS, Man of Solomon, Rocket Man, and uh, Willie and I'm in love, which which is you think is the most likely to to, to catch on? I'm going to go SOS. I think mm. it's also it's one of those where like, obviously when a player doesn't have a song, it's easier, I think, a little bit. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, you have to be, you have to really break the bank for to change a song for someone. But I do believe that that, that Andreas song has potential. Um, let's there we let's go. see how we go. You've heard it here first. Bournemouth away, rally the troops. Let's get it going in the concourses. Circle the wagons. Circle the wagons to quote Peter Rutzler uh, earlier on in the podcast. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Peter Rutzler, thank you for your time as always, sir. No, thank you. Always a pleasure. And Jack Collins, thanks for uh, for helping us get over what was... uh, uh, yeah, quite it's been quite a horrible week for Fulham fans. But, uh, yeah, traumatic thank weekend. Thank you for having me, Coops. It's been uh, it's been nice to get it off my chest. Like a therapy session. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. We've got um, a whiteboard special podcast over the international break to look forward to. So uh, Dan and Ben will be uh, taking the reins. I uh, hope you enjoy the international break. And yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. You right. You right.